This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, an unlikely match. College seniors living with senior citizens. One of the residents and I ended up talking for like three hours. We were just laughing and getting to know each other, and I just was like, if this is what it's going to be like, this is going to be awesome. College students and retirees when Radio Health Journal returns. Oral contraceptives are the most common form of hormonal birth control in the United States, and experts say they're safe and effective. However, any form of hormonal birth control, including the pill, patch, or ring, can carry risks like any prescription medication. With hormonal birth control, the common risk factor is estrogen, which increases the risk of blood clots, especially in women with a clotting disorder, a previous blood clot, or a family history of them. During Women's Health Week, it's important for women to learn their risks and know their options for birth control. The National Blood Clot Alliance is partnering with the Alexandra Rowan Memorial Foundation, urging women to visit womenandbloodclots.org, where you'll find a risk assessment tool to help you work with your doctor to find the best contraception option for you. You'll also find information about risk factors and the signs and symptoms of potentially fatal blood clots. Find out your risk and your options at womenandbloodclots.org. That's womenandbloodclots.org. College students are always living on a budget. Finding affordable housing and cheap meals is like hitting the jackpot. So when Shelby Miller, a senior at Northern Iowa University, heard about a retirement home offering drastically reduced room and board in exchange for 10 to 15 hours of volunteer work per week, she was psyched. And I was like, oh, you know, that's something that sounds really interesting. I was working at Bridges Senior Living at the time, so I was really enjoying the older population. And so I was like, this would be a great way to jump into my major and really get some good experience. So I decided to apply, and I got accepted. It has been a success, both for the students and the residents. We're seeing great impact on both sides. For the students, it just provides them with an opportunity to meet an older population that some of them have not had the experience of knowing. In our society, as we all know, people move around, and we're not always on the same property or next door or even in the same town as our grandma and grandpas. And so it's been great for them to have that exposure to an older population and find out the challenges and joys that older adults go through. And on the other hand, then, it's been great for the residents to know the challenges and joys that being in college is like today. That's Carolyn Martin, Director of Volunteer Services at Western Home Communities in Cedar Falls, Iowa. She says the student-in-residence program there is one of only a few in the United States. Actually, the one that we found first that we saw and thought was a great idea was from Denmark, I believe. And they have students living in their senior housing as well. We knew of one in Ohio and talked with that group of people, and they had great success with it. And then we also know that here in Iowa, Drake University had a student live in one of the residences in Des Moines. Most of those are geared toward music students, and then their interaction becomes based around the music. And ours has not been just based on music. We went a little bit broader than that. Currently, three students are living in the retirement home in Cedar Falls, a young man and two young women. We have been very blessed this semester to get the caliber of students interested as we have the first two years of our program has just been 
heartwarming for us, and it really kind of takes away that stigma that all college kids are lazy and don't want to do anything. Our problem was that we were concerned that our students were so busy they weren't going to have time to do what we were asking them to do. However, Martin says just the opposite has occurred. The girls that are living in the independent living building, they can get their residents to try just about anything once. They've tried new games and they've tried new activities and going places and the residents respond to them so well and think, well, if they think I can do it, then I guess I can. And they're eager. They remember what the girls are doing in their classes and then they seek them out at night to find out about it. It really gives the residents something to look forward to. George, that lives in our assisted living facility, he happens to live on a floor that is mostly men, single men. And those guys know when he has a test. They know when the basketball games are and are seeking him out to find out about those things that he's involved in. So it's really been fun to watch the residents absorb the students into their lives. And they're really going to miss them when they're gone. One of my first like big interactions was I had come out for breakfast one morning, and so I went out there to just go sit and talk, and one of the residents and I ended up talking for like three hours. We were just sitting out in our dining hall, and we were just laughing, and we were getting to know each other, and it was so nice, and I felt really welcomed, and I just was like, I feel like this is going to be a really good experience. Like, if this is what it's going to be like, this is going to be awesome. And Miller says it has been. We talked about everything, and we even get into, like, philosophical-type discussions as well, you know? Like, we talk about life and death, and we talk about, like, the social problems in our society, and we talk about really amazing or cool things that happen in our world. You know, just pretty much everything. There's not a lot that's off-limits. The student-in-residence concept is fairly new in the United States. However, intergenerational living, or what's also been called intentional neighboring, is not. In the early 90s, when cocaine babies were having a major issue in the child welfare system in Illinois, a sociology professor, Dr. Brenda Ehart, got interested in seeing what she could do in terms of bringing foster families together to care for these children. That's Tom Berkshire, president of Generations of Hope, a nonprofit organization based in Springfield, Illinois, that supports intergenerational living communities throughout the United States. At the same time, Chanute Air Force Base in Rantoul, Illinois, was closing. And on the base, there was many suburban houses just like you would see in suburban America. And so she went to the Department of Defense and said, I'd like four houses for these foster children, foster families. And they said, no, no, you have to take at least 50 houses. So she, for a very small sum of money, purchased 50 houses and sort of backed into this idea of intergenerationality by saying, okay, what am I going to do with the other houses? I will put seniors in them. I will have the seniors volunteer to help the children grow up and be that third or fourth generation. So that was really how it started. Every generation seems to benefit. Back at the retirement home in Cedar Falls, Martin says she's seen a big difference in the residents who are in contact with the college students. It's something that's hard to quantify. You know, how do you quantify happiness or engagement? But because we've been able to offer more programming because we've had more people around. These students are there 24 hours a day, except when they're in class. Our staff comes and goes at pretty typical hours. And so some of the activities that the students have done have filled up some of those evening hours that are traditionally long evening hours for single older adults. 
so they have those things to look forward to that they might not if we didn't have something like this going on. Martin would love to see more students in residence programs all around the country. She says she's happy to share information about how to start one. You can find contact information for her and for Generations of Hope on our website at radiohealthjournal.net. Our writer-producer this week is Polly Hansen. Our production director is Sean Waldron, and I'm Nancy Benson. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. About 54 million adults in the United States have osteoporosis or low bone density. The American College of Physicians has released a new guideline to help physicians prevent fractures in women and men who are at risk. Dr. Jack Endy is ACP's president. Two important takeaways from ACP's guideline are that physicians should treat women with osteoporosis with bisphosphonates or with denosumab, a biologic agent. ACP also recommends against using menopausal estrogen therapy or menopausal estrogen plus progestin or raloxifene for treatment. Those therapies have risks that outweigh potential benefits. Dr. Endy says evidence suggests doctors treat women with osteoporosis with drug therapy for five years. Continued treatment may be beneficial for some patients after reassessment. However, the guideline does not support bone density monitoring during treatment. In men with osteoporosis, doctors should prescribe bisphosphonates to reduce the risk for vertebral fracture. Find out more at acponline.org. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free, and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Medical Notes this week. Researchers continue to search for a brain booster to combat the cognitive effects of advancing age, and they may have found one in human umbilical cord blood. A study in the journal Nature shows that human cord blood injected into old mice significantly improved the function of their brains. Researchers were then able to isolate the responsible factor in the newborn blood, a protein called TIMP2. TIMP2 injected into old mice produced the same effects. Researchers say the findings could lead to new treatments of age-related mental decline. More women who have had cancer are having children, but those kids are more likely to be born prematurely with below average birth weights. A study in the Journal of the American Medical Association shows that breast cancer treatment produces nearly double the risk of preterm birth later, while cancers such as Hodgkin's lymphoma increase the risk by 60%. Doctors don't know if those children have greater health risks later on in life. And finally, a study now proves that when people get their pictures taken, most of them say, take my left side, it's my better side. And when people view pictures, they perceive the left side of faces to be more expressive. 
That's according to a study in the journal Brain and Cognition. Scientists explain that the left side of the face is controlled by the right side of the brain, which is more involved in emotion. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.